So usually someone will come through and they'll pick out the one that they like the most and grow that multiple times and realize this might have a high THC percentage. It might, you know, have a high certain cannabinoid or terpene and people select it for that. Then what they would do is they would come to a tissue culture lab like Conception, and then we create a clone. And through a different process than traditional cloning, it's done in a lab. It's done with hormones, mixtures. It's a sterile environment. And through this process, you can actually, like I was saying, turn back the clock. It's like you're growing from a seed every time, but you're getting a true DNA replication of that plant every single time. So from that standpoint, we take it and we sell it off to commercial cultivators. And we also have a part of our company that's R and it's called the clone guy. And the clone guy actually takes it, then takes it to retail and that's accessible to the home grower. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And let's kick off today's discussion with a big thank you to everyone who has joined me over on Substack. It is great to get my bearings with that platform. And for those of you who are curious what it's all about, I've moved the podcast to Substack. So all past and future episodes will be there. And I've begun to write as well. You can check it out at tobebluntpod.com. I just updated my URL. So that is the new URL, tobebluntpod.com, and it will redirect to Substack where you can subscribe and follow along for free. I am also pleased to announce and share that I'll be heading to Denver in June for the Cannabis Marketing Association's Summit. I attended last year, and as a cannabis marketer, I can say it is a 10 out of 10 must attend for anyone wanting to network, learn, and just be amongst industry leaders and professionals at the top of their craft. Specifically, the event is June 21st through 23rd, and I will be moderating a panel on the 23rd titled From Seed to Brand, Crafting a Compelling Identity for Your Cannabis Brand. And get this, Joe Hodis, the WANA CMO and former To Be Blunt podcast guest, but like really early OG podcast guest, he was one of my first, will be on the panel as well. So you won't want to miss that discussion, but really the whole event is going to be amazing. Also, a PSA, if you or anyone you know is in Colorado Cannabis, I would pretty please love to line up some grow tours or dispensary tours for content creation, so please spread the word. And I hope to see you in Denver. You can learn more at thecannabismarketingassociation.com. Now, I also wanted to flag this news article because I think it's a bigger conversation that absolutely needs addressing. When Prop 64 passed in 2016, California cannabis operators were told they would have strict labeling and would not be packaged or marketed in ways that would appeal to children. But the market is now flooded with pop products that are designed to look like candies and snacks popular with kids and in flavors that are enticing to young people. Assemblymember Jackie Irwin has introduced a bill that would bar cannabis producers from creating, marketing, or selling products that resemble candy, soda, and snacks that are attractive to kids. Now, I see a ton of cannabis products mimicking mainstream candy brands coming out of California. And really, to be honest, every state, it doesn't matter if it's illicit or regulated, it is happening. And from a marketing branding perspective, I can understand the association and desire to leverage likeness to give credibility to one's products, but it clearly has gotten out of hand. Of course, where it can be misconstrued towards a child resulting in an adverse reaction. What's really interesting to me is that California had language to prevent this, but it is now taking an additional bill seven years later to impose more stringent legislation. And my big question is, who's been regulating it? Who was regulating it? Who is regulating it? Who will regulate it? And it's one thing to come after the regulated side of the industry, because in theory, you have license holders and you have violations of those licenses. So there's some accountability, but Clearly, not really anything's been done if a new piece of legislation has to be introduced. 
But what about the underground products? Hell, even the products sold as hemp-derived who clearly are running rampant without proper regulation. We've already seen some large candy brands come after cannabis companies for violating their likeness, but it appears to be aggressively out of hand. And then devil's advocate, how do you make something not appealing to children when you're making candy and gummies in general? Even without the likeness of the candy brand or their form factor, we're still making candy. And isn't that in and of itself appealing to children? Definitely some food for thought and would love to know your thoughts on this. So please reach out. You can DM me at to be blunt pod and at the shaded trobby. So let's connect and discuss. And now getting into today's guest, y'all know I'm a big believer in understanding all facets of the industry so that we can properly take cannabis to market which is why I was so excited when I got connected with Christian Andreessen, who recently joined Conception Nurseries as Senior Product Director. Christian's role will support Conception's initiative to build a diverse group of cannabis breeders to meet the needs of an ever-expanding cannabis market. Christian's decade-plus expertise spans breeding, commercial cultivation, and brand development, garnering numerous Emerald Cup and High Times awards for flower, pre-rolls, concentrates, and genetics. He's a respected figure in the cannabis industry thanks to a long track record of working with breeders through the medium of tissue culture, and he's widely acknowledged to be a pioneer of cannabis tissue culture, introducing stable, high-demand genetics to the commercial cannabis marketplace. I cannot wait for you to soak up this episode. It is super nerdy in the best way possible. We dove into everything tissue culture, cultivation, working with brands to protect their genetics, the importance of applying traditional ag practices to cannabis, and so much more. Really excited to have you here this conversation with Christian. So without further ado, please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Christian to the show. Christian Andreessen, my role at Conception as the VP of product development. I started cultivating cannabis about 15 years ago in the legacy, what people are calling legacy market now. I have a background in computer science, wrote software for a living for a good portion of my career. Did this on the side, like supplemental income, but then also just really, really loved the plant. Like I've had a relationship with the plant since I was probably like 16, 17. And I just was always drawn to to growing and cultivating it and grew we're in, I'm in California. We had the medical market, which a lot of people refer to as the 215, the Prop 215. Um, so I grew in that for quite a while. And then once we were able to get licenses and go for licenses, got licensed as quick as I can. During the transition out of the 215 market, I was getting raided and busts for trying to help write ordinances and legislation for my county. So that I was in and really I couldn't get to the legal market quick enough. That's very helpful to just set the stage because I think maybe the best place for me to jump in is interesting on the last point you make. You couldn't wait to get into the legal market or quick enough. I think there's maybe some duality to the industry, right? There's certainly a lot of tension that gets placed on California cannabis, I think explicitly. And so I guess just like what has been that journey for you independently. And then of course, I want to talk about consumption, conception for sure, because y'all are doing some really interesting stuff from a cultivation perspective. But just based off of that comment you made, what to you was appealing about the regulated market? Because I think there's still a lot of opinion that people would prefer to be in legacy because it's difficult and it's maybe not super profitable to be in the regulated market. Yeah, it's definitely got its good and pros and cons. I don't think California rolled out legislation great. I don't think they learned from some of the other states that had come before. Yeah, they made a lot of the same mistakes, unfortunately. Some of them are getting fixed. Some of them haven't been addressed yet. For me, I really, I was sick of having sheriff breaking down my door and threatening jail time have a family, small kids at that time, and having them show up at my front door and harass my family. Just, it was a trying time, but I believed in what I was doing and really wanted to keep pushing legislation and getting to some sort of legal market. Like I said, it hasn't been perfect. I think a lot of people would love to go back to the old days, but I think as an evolving market, I was 
in my tech career too, I was early on, you know, what's happening now is good and bad. There's cleansing of the market and that's the evolution of business. And like, I, I think everyone has made mistakes in business mistakes or how they got funded or there's an array of mistakes that were made and just keep evolving, keep learning from those. And hopefully we can help change some legislation for the other states that are coming live and then also hopefully fix California as well. Yeah, no, I totally respect that and understand completely, obviously not having been a part of anything legacy to that extent where I've had to deal with that type of situation of just navigating this nebulous unknown. It almost feels even though you now have regulated market, it still is nebulous and unknown. And there are certain components where you're making progress and certain components where you're being like squeezed. So maybe if you could speak a little bit about cultivation from your perspective over the years, looking at conception, what conception is offering to the marketplace, backtracking and looking at maybe where you started when you were beginning your cultivation journey. I will precedent this whole conversation with I know stuff about cultivation because I've been a consumer for many years. I do not have a green thumb. I have attempted at growing some plants at the help of my husband, who is a cultivator. He is no longer in the industry. He is now working, growing leafy greens through a hydroponic system, really big operation out in Temple, Texas. They are out in California too called, now I'm like, I don't even know where he works. But anyways, it's a leafy green company. I'm sure you've heard of them. And so I know some things just from his perspective because he's very knowledgeable about it. And so he's always trying to help me understand, help me learn. And I'll end on this point, which I've heard, and maybe it's a little bit controversial, but not that controversial, but it's called weed. So in theory, it should just be a seed you throw when it grows anywhere. (laughs) And from my personal experience, it is a very challenging plant to grow. And there's a lot of challenges with it, whether you're growing indoor, outdoor, obviously nutrients, the lighting. And so just would love a walkthrough from your perspective from when you first started growing cannabis to what y'all are doing at conception, just to set the stage of how specific this is for the industry to just understand, because it is a very sensitive plan as much as it is, quote unquote, a weed that should grow anywhere, right? Yeah. I've heard that from a lot of people like, oh, this is a weed. It's it's, it's easy. We'll figure this out very quickly. it's, uh, it's not, it's complex from the terpenes and the cannabinoids, how uh, there's a lot going on to this plant. It's not like growing tomatoes. It's a lot different, but yeah, let's well, start from the beginning. Like most people in the legacy market, I started growing in a spare bedroom of my house, put like three or four lights up and made a lot of mistakes, learned how to fix them kind of quick. Back then we used to talk a lot on message boards and graduated from couple lights in a spare bedroom to 10, 12 lights in my garage and started growing in my garage. Like a lot of people in California kind of hone their skills in, in their parts of their house or the garage. And from there, I started getting pretty good, figuring out, figuring out the plant, the nutrients and the environmentals and stuff like that. A couple of years later, I had like multiple rental houses in my town that I was in and was supplying a lot of California dispensaries with products. Never really played the out-of-state game. It was more concentrated on medicinal side and the dispensaries in Sacramento, in San Francisco, like the region that, that I'm in. During that time of growing, I had a, a strain. It was actually the original Girl Scout cookies. And I was known in the dispensary world for, for the strain and for the methods I was using. And I remember I dropped off some nuts to one of the dispensaries and I'm on my way home and I get a phone call that like there's seeds in, uh, seeds in my pound that I dropped off and. That's odd that no one ever mentioned trimmers or anything didn't mention that. So I got back and I looked at some more of the product I had and yeah, long behold, there were seeds in there. And to think back to the growing of it and I didn't see any kind of telltale signs of male flowers or anything that would lead me down to that path. So at this point, I went to the next grow site and started opening up some buds and definitely seeds in there. 
So I started to research online and started talking on these forums, trying to figure out what was going on. And I couldn't figure it out. I came across this one, this one fellow that was talking about tissue culture and how tissue culture was used in traditional agriculture and how it could be beneficial in, in a commercial cannabis cultivation. And one thing in particular is like, you can actually revert the genetics, like back to its original form that it came from seed. So when you start having these issues, like you can actually turn back the clock for that genetic. And he was actually selling tissue culture kits and had all these informational videos. Like back then, like you couldn't Google, you couldn't really, there was very little like YouTube or you couldn't, there just wasn't a lot of information out. So. I purchased his tissue culture kit, took 200 uh, cuttings and put them into these little test tubes and failed miserably. I had like maybe one or two that lasted more than two or three days. And it's really because I'm growing in a garage and it's not sterile. And so, but that kind of started my, my interest in tissue culture, trying to learn how it applied to cannabis and what it can actually do. And fast forward a couple of years later. And I watched some of my friends start growing at scale, all organic, amazing growers. And at this point, testing is starting to take place. And there was multiple people that were failing for certain systemic pesticides. And these guys were amazing organic growers that would never touch a pesticide. So we started trying to figure out what's going on. There was a little bit of overspray. Some of the first licenses in California were in big ag areas. And so there was definitely some overspray happening. But also at this time, like we would always share genetics between groups. And you never knew where in that chain someone else had a different habit or a different practice. And they would spray it with a chemical or a pesticide that would actually become systemic. And now that it's being tested for, like, how do we remove it? And some of these would stay multiple generations in the tissue. And then later on down the line, whether it's a flower form or a concentration form, it would come up with testing. So went back to trying to figure out how to clean up these plants. Like testing wasn't enforced yet. This is in the, the transition phase in California. There was a couple of years, like you weren't fully legal yet, weren't fully like into metric and you know, what the legality that we deal with now. So we're evolving and trying to figure this out and tissue culture came back up and we started to really dive into what tissue culture can do. And that was one of the big things for me, they are able to remove systemic pesticides and then you can get the full what the plant used to do so you can get you can turn back the clock and get all the full vigor over time a lot of people would throw out what they called a drift that wasn't really happening there was no like dna level changes that were happening plants were just getting old and tired you take traditional cuts off of a mother and before you know it a couple months later it would root slow or they just wasn't the same that we saw so through tissue culture you can you can remove some pesticides, viruses, viroids, and you get really the cleanest, healthiest start of the plant that I believe is available. So went through, I started another company that was one of the first tissue culture nurseries at scale. And we did a lot of turning back genetics. We became a, a commercial nursery on accident. We were trying to do it really just in-house. And we had partnered up with a group that had done traditional tissue culture in the ag side. And we're able to, I think, really make a powerful, positive impact on California genetics and nurseries. And at that time, nurseries were like in, in cannabis, it was a very new idea. Most people like held their genetics very close. They were very coveted and nobody really were out there like buying commercial clones. So we had a very like big uphill battle trying to 
supply clean genetics and at scale into multiple farms. More and more licenses at that time are coming online and then people are finally realizing that they can't do this by themselves. So yeah, we supplied millions of plants to California for a period of time. Unfortunately, one of my original partner that I co-founded that company was passed away tragically. And, and just, I decided to go a different route. I've been breeding cannabis for over a decade now and took a step back to, to take a step forward and had some reflection and went from managing over a hundred thousand square feet of cultivation down to like 10,000 square feet of cultivation. Took some time. At that point, I was traveling two and a half hours a day each way. So I just took a step back. And then the CEO at Conception was one of our first, my previous company was one of our first commercial accounts. He was running, he was the CEO of Cookies and Connected at that time. He just, we always kept in contact and he was just like, Hey, I have this new company in this tissue culture. And I started out licensing some of the genetics that I was breeding. And then really, honestly, I really missed the connection I had with the farmers up and down the whole state. Like I, I always had people like I'd run into them at their farm or at an event and people are like hugging me and telling me how great the genetics and the plants I was putting out there. So. I really missed that connection. So Kevin offered me a position as the VP of product development. Got the great position where I get to still have my connection with the farmers and also like build out a menu of breeders. Everything that's actually on our menu is paid back a royalty, a licensing agreement to, to the breeder. So like the creator of the genetics. Most nurseries now don't do that. This is the first nursery that I've heard of. Most will grab a cut from somebody else or see them hunt some seeds and then claim it as their own. But Kevin had a different idea and, and really paying homage to the people that are actually doing the work and creating these strains. But I've been working with the breeders and developing and looking at trends of the market and putting out genetics to actually three states now, Oregon, California, and Mississippi. That is remarkably fascinating. I want to dig in deeper and this is where the I'm aware of these terms, but I don't necessarily know how they play together and would love to take this opportunity to clarify some things. So when you're talking about clones, breeders, genetics, seeds, tissue culture. How does it all flow together? What is the procession, if that makes sense? I don't know what's the right like target customer. Maybe part of this question is, who is your customer? You're selling directly to the person like a cookies who wants to use that to then use the genetics to then make products under their label. Are you selling direct to consumer where there's maybe a home grow opportunity? People can buy tissue clone or tissue culture from you guys. I just want to understand, like, is it seeds or tissue culture? Does it ultimately like, do you need a seed at some point to kickstart this? I'd also love to hear from your perspective about the breeding side of it, because yes, I think as an industry, and this is my marketing brain. Blue Dream or Pineapple Express. So those are very prolific, recognizable strains, but many people grow them. And then there are certain brands, like you mentioned, Cookies, Connected. I've had someone from Connected on the podcast a couple of years ago and their whole model of making exclusive drops and they're doing kind of like sneaker culture. And so they want to have this coveted thing that only they offer. It's just very fascinating to me where there's this market of general strains that everybody has access to. And then there's this sub-level. And from my understanding, it's cross-breeding. You're mixing genetics. Is there ever anything that, I don't know, didn't exist once as an independent strain, if that makes sense? Like everything is the derivative of something that existed at one point. And so I know I said a lot of stuff. I just hope that makes (laughs) sense to you. I want to understand, are people buying directly from you and then bringing it home? Are you selling to businesses? Are you selling to specific breeders? 
And then what is this trade-off? Is it I'm buying seeds or I'm buying tissue culture? Do clones play a role? And just want to understand all of that kind of ecosystem of how these genetics get out or are protected and who has the rights to them. Obviously, knowing like you highlighted that conception is all about paying homage to the person who's kind of like doing the work, maybe so to speak, of creating that. So hopefully that made sense. I would love to hear what you have to say about all of those things. Yeah, so I'll try to attack. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five-star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp-derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. Yeah, so let, I guess let's start with the, the seed. So yeah, everything starts from a seed, right? And we take that seed. Cannabis, like where we are in genetic development, is far off from traditional agriculture. Like you go and get some seeds, tomatoes, and you'll take 100 seeds have a hundred uniform strain of that certain tomato and that that has taken years and years of breeding what's called back crossing and you just you you try to stabilize and just get a uniform plant but that takes 20 30 40 years we're not there yet we're very far off and the the industry right now is asking for things to change so quick so I use the term breeding loosely, like not to offend some other breeders that are actually spending decades on lineages and things like that. But I actually like the industry starting to evolve that way. But with everything starts from a seed, you can take male and female, the two parent lines, put them together and create something new. From there, let's say you just use a mass, like you have a hundred seeds that were created. From there, you do what's called pheno hunting. And because that this is what's known as kind of an, an F1, you have the, the chance to have a hundred different phenotypical varies. So usually someone will come through and they'll pick out the one that they like the most and grow that multiple times and realize this might have a high THC percentage. It might, you know, have a high certain cannabinoid or terpene and people select it for that. Then what they would do is they would come to a tissue culture lab like Conception and then we create a clone and through a different process than traditional cloning, it's done in a lab. It's done with hormones, mixtures. It's a sterile environment. And through this process, I can actually, like I was saying, turn back the clock. It's like you're growing from a seed every time, but you're getting a true DNA replication of that plant every single time. So from that standpoint, we take it and we sell it off to commercial cultivators. And we also have a part of our company that's R and it's called the clone guy. And 
the clone guy actually takes it, then takes it to retail and that's accessible to the home grower. California, you're allowed six plants per household. So yeah, they're the clones that we're putting out definitely get to the home growers and the commercial cultivators. So from visuals, just from photos that I've seen on the Conception Nursery website, like you said, you're growing in a sterile environment and it looks similar to maybe hydroponics, but like you're not trying to mature the plants. You're not a and I guess maybe some clarification from your perspective too, what does nursery mean maybe in the agriculture and the cannabis sense? Obviously, I think the layperson, you go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's and it's like, this is the nursery. Here's all these plants. It's not like I'm going and buying like a full plant. It's specifically a clone. What does it look like in tissue culture form? Is it like a, it's not an amoeba. Is it like a small sproutling? What does that look like in you know? Like, just wanting to understand y'all's operation because the photos just look like very scientific. But there's just like rows yeah. and rows of just tissue culture. And it's I've certainly been in greenhouses as well where you just you see the abundance of plants. And again, even with my husband, I've we've and even growing personally, we get the seed, it grows to this size. Okay, then it's mature. And so you're really just meeting the market at like that inception stage of trying to or maybe the conception stage where you're trying to just get that instead of maybe from a seed of a seed you're getting that pure genetic that has been cleaned up for all intents and purpose and is able to be replicated but what does that look like i know i said hydroponics maybe that's not the right word but i'm just curious what is the life cycle how long does it take to grow at tissue culture stage and like the turnover rate of that if that makes sense yeah, so the and it's very scientific. It's based out of the lab. It's a little bit different where it's well, actually I'll just I'll start at the beginning. Once you take a clone through the process, it takes anywhere from eight to twelve months. And the first initial process, the first step is actually you take the clone and you put it into a kind of a cleanup phase. So sometimes you might have a pest or a pathogen on on the plant so it goes through a process where it's being quarantined it goes through like a mixture they cleaning up the the outside of the plant to try to get it sterilized from there you're putting it into a process where you're flushing the endogenous hormones out of the plant and you're getting it to live its life in a, a semi like peace tree dish like i'd say there's a what's called agar so it's a mixture of hormones nutrients and that takes usually anywhere from three to six months and it'll live its life there in the in the nursery sense like you you use like the term mother plants and we still have mother plants there's a couple different variables that occur in, in tissue culture where you have what's known as multiplication rate so how quick what we're trying to do is elongate the plant and as the plant grows we'll cut down and take pieces of that, like that, that shoot, and then turn that into more mother stock. And what happens during that process, it's, it's an exponential growth. It'll go, you know, three plants will turn into nine plants, nine plants turns into 27 plants. One of the things that's nice about tissue cultures, you don't need a massive facility. Like it's, you use like cubic seat rather than square footage. During that process, the next process would be to then root the plants and say the best like analogy I could use is that it looks like a seed start. It's like a smaller plant it needs to be hardened off. It's not like a mature clone that you would see from a traditional, like asexually propagated plant. And so during that process, you're rooting it for like two to four weeks. It'll go through a little hardening off and then it will from there go to the cultivator the cultivator will then harden the plant off and start growing the plant one of the from the commercial being a commercial cultivator there's so much amazing benefits from tissue culture you get a symmetrical you get a lot of the juvenile traits that you get from popping a seed so you get symmetrical branching most people top their plants which you would just pinch the top of the plant and allows the undersides to catch up and you get more of a bush than like a beanstalk. And tissue culture plants naturally grow that way. A seed naturally grows that way. And 
I keep mentioning, like kind of turning it back to its original form. <clears throat> That's where tissue culture really is micropropagation of these plants. And that's where you're getting like a very stable. You're getting very like even plant. The commercial cultivator will get a very even canopy. Everything is like DNA, like clone of that, of that plant. And what I have found, like one of the big benefits is now, especially more than ever is like the price of cannabis to compression has come down so much. Like a lot of these small things add up over time of like how often you touch the plant, how often are someone having to prune or pull leaves off. And what I've found is that like a, a tissue culture clone grows naturally how I'm trying to manipulate and have the plant grow. So my cost to touch the plant is a lot lower, which is a huge benefit when, you know, you're trying to pinch, pinch every penny you can in this industry now. And then the benefits of it's lived its life. It's been in this like sterile environment. It can, there is no pests and passinogens when it's coming out to the correct cultivator. So if you're going into the outdoor season, you know, it, this plant's so much healthier and it can fight off any kind of pests or passinogens. So from that standpoint, there's a great added benefit for the commercial cultivators. That's what I was going to ask is because it's created in this sterile environment, just from what you said, obviously it's like better prepared to handle the environment. Do tissue culture plants, is it preferred to do it in a certain growing environment? Like it should be greenhouse or it can be outdoor. It doesn't really matter. Or is there like a very, you no know, needs to go from inside this Petri dish to inside into this indoor system to have the best chance at, I guess, maintaining it or having other pests or obviously you take tissue culture and then let's say, which I couldn't imagine if a grower is buying from you guys with that intention, they're going to then put pesticides on it by any means. But just understanding the variances when it comes to cultivating, it's like, hey, I started out with this integrity. And then once I purchase it from you, it's like, hey, hope you take care of it the best you can. And so just are there better environments for which that type of plant is going to better succeed? Or is it just par for the course? I wouldn't say there's one's better than the other. The one thing I will say is the plants need to be hardened off. So going full sun right away outside, I always try to like get them acclimatized to to their to their surroundings i've grown indoor at scale i've grown greenhouse and outdoor at scale and the plants do need a little bit more babying because they've actually lived in this perfect environment their whole life right exactly the perfect humidity and temperature and light intensity so when you put them into another environment that's not always perfect they do need a second to acclimatize done a lot of like side-by-side comparisons the plants that were coming out are about four to six inches and then the hardened off clone might be like eight to ten inches but a lot of people see the two clones at first and they look at them and they're like this is this was looks weak and the minute you put it into whatever medium give it a week ten days once you reach set like they always outperform traditional clones and the bigger that you get it's just is astronomical like it's so much hardier of a plant but it does take a second to climatize like you said because of being into a lab environment where everything's just perfect its whole life so i wouldn't say like one's better than the other it's just understanding those environments and knowing how to lessen that that transition process and i think we do a great job on giving out material for for the growers, helping educate the growers. I've always said like the health of our success of our business is predicated on the success of their business. You almost become some sort of level of uh, consultant to help them because there, there is, this is a different plant. It's a different, it's a different plant that people are used to. And we have a very high level of people coming back and ordering more because once they figure it out, the process or just the plant. Is this has so much more added benefits. 
Yeah, I want to understand a little bit more when you are working with these growers, are they bringing their own genetics and saying, hey, help me turn my genetic into tissue culture so I can then replicate it at scale with more perfection? So using a cookies or connected as an example where they have maybe their own genetics that they've bred already through this process or acquired through that process versus maybe a customer or a grower who doesn't have any genetics their own? Are you only exclusively working with genetics that are from the company that's bringing it to you? Or you also have your own? And what's the number? Is it like 10 different genetics? Is it a rotating variation of sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 40, maybe it's over 100. And then I as a customer could say, oh, I would like to get this particular tissue culture. And then what is that life cycle? Is someone constantly like you're kind of mentioning consultants is someone constantly having to re-up every grow they're gonna be like if I want to grow let's say 100 plants am I always starting it from tissue culture or once I get those 100 plants to maturity am I able to take those plants because they came from tissue culture in you know next harvest if I take some of the seeds from those plants like I just want to understand that part of it as well so we do both there's definitely people that have certain strains that their brand or their company might be known for. So we'll take in, someone will bring us a strain and like I said, you take it, clean it up and we can repropagate it for them. There's cookies connected. A lot of the big brands have, have staple strains that have built, built the demand for that brand. So we do work with groups that have, yeah, they have a couple staple strains that they want to put through and have them propagated. And we might do that monthly or quarterly, whatever that is. And then we have about 25 to 30 rotating strains on our menu at any time. And those are the ones that were out there. We do in-house verifications. Like we run it through a 40 point assessment test and making it sure it checks all the boxes for just because it's tissue culture doesn't mean that like it, it has all the attributes that a commercial cultivator might want. So, you know, we work with the breeders, they bring us, sometimes they bring us 20 or 30 things and maybe only two or three end up coming through and we put it into culture. And then from there we propagate it, but uh, we, we usually rotate out about five new strains per quarter on our menu. And then those, like I said, are going out to commercial cultivators through three different states right now. We have one in Oregon, a lab in Oregon, California, and a lab in Mississippi that just opened. So we do all the the above that you were talking about. Okay, neat. Mississippi. Wow. Okay. From a marketing perspective, and obviously just you independently, you have a reputation like you were sharing. A lot of people are really grateful for the work that you've done and helped paved in the industry. Your multi high times was it also Emerald Cup winner as well with your genetics. What is the sentiment on tissue culture? Does the consumer even know that's a component? Is it marketed? Like I'm trying to understand how conception connects the dots, or maybe y'all are the coach behind the players, the players being the brands. They're able to bring a quality product to market. The consumer doesn't need to know how it got there. And just kind of trying to understand again, because I think there is a lot of personality and there's also a lot of preference when it comes to, I mean, even just growing people who are like, well, it better be outdoor sun grown or bust and it's, well, fuck greenhouse and fuck indoor. And it's okay, well, at scale and you want to be able to grow seasonally, different markets, different brands, different consumers wants, things like that. So is tissue culture that controversial where people are like, Ew, tissue culture, or oh, it's tissue culture. That's dope. Like, we need tissue culture. I just want to understand what the kind of marketing sentiment is from maybe growers or breeders or people doing genetics. Are they familiar with it? Is it popular? Is it popping up? I mean, y'all are in a couple of states. Do you see this happening in other cannabis markets like Colorado right now? I mean, like you said, this is a traditional ag practice. So, I love being aware of that. I don't think a lot of people in the industry are aware. It's like this is a crop and it can learn from other agricultural practices. But it just is really fascinating as people, like I said, get into it, the sentiment of how it's grown, how it was started, what's the purity of the genetics, what was the origination point. It just it's all very interesting. And I am for sure just on the consumer level where I'm like, I just want it to be good and be pesticide free and do the job and 
especially being in Texas, I don't have the luxury of really participating with, ooh, this is a strain that I love. It's like, you have weed? Great. That's (laughs) wonderful. I will take that. So just want to understand like the sentiment of tissue culture in general from the growing community perspective. What's going on in other states in terms of adopting this type of, I'm going to call it technology, this application. And then how does Conception Nurseries kind of like market themselves I'm assuming mostly to the growers, even though you do have a consumer-focused arm. Just like, how do people find you and know that they want this instead of a traditional clone? So from a consumer, like the end standpoint that's purchasing flour or concentrate, they're not really, I don't think they're aware of that yet. That There's definitely been brands that say, oh, this is grown from tissue culture. And there's definitely, there's definitely benefits to that. But the real benefits are more from the cultivation side. There's traditional nurseries like California. The past couple of years have been like burned by what's known as hoplatin viroid. And it's a disease in the plant that is at the RNA level, which ends up degrading terpenes and THC yield. The overall health of the plant like really degrades and can cause a bunch of damage to the cultivator, causing them to lose a lot of money. And I've seen it all over California and other states. One of the things like with tissue culture is like the added value is if the plant is clean going in, it's going to be clean coming out. And we have a very like rigorous set of SOPs and understanding that like it's got to be clean, plants got to be cleaned up going in and you're always going to have clean plants coming out. So from a standpoint of, I don't think the consumer understands that it's a healthier, better plant through this whole process. I don't think we're there. We're like the industries evolved that much yet, but the cultivators, like any cultivator knows the, the, the benefits from that. And I'm seeing tissue culture labs pop up in every state country. Like we were just in Spain for Spanibus and there's definitely multiple tissue culture nurseries popping up. The big thing is to understand like the difference in tissue culture. And I touched upon micropropagation, but micropropagation at scale is very difficult, especially with cannabis. And there's not many people doing that level. And for me as a commercial cultivator, like I believe that is like one of the most important things from tissue culture. Again, it goes back to the reverting the genetics to what they were as they were young, all these added benefits that come along with micropropagation is really where I see the the future of tissue culture and how it fits in with commercial cultivation. And that's where all the real benefits are to the cultivators. Understood. No, that makes sense. I think it is one of those things where it ultimately does make a better plan and whether consumers understand that or not. That's, I think, all of our battle is just helping them understand you want to consume these products, but you do want them to be clean. And obviously that then falls on the state's programs as well to ensure proper testing and regulations that uphold certain standards. And so it's, can you start from a good starting place? You'll have the better chance at succeeding in some of those categories compared to not starting from that starting place. You obviously just touched on like what the future of tissue cultures is and what's exciting you. I'd love to just expand on that kind of like final question. I always love ending on like a positive note, like where's the future taking us? What is exciting you? What's exciting conception nurseries? Is there an evolution of technology that can be applied to make this? I don't know if it condenses the timeline or if it purifies it even further or like what some of those things might be to apply to see this. Maybe it's more adoption which it's great, obviously, Spanibus being a huge international stage for cannabis, which I think we're certainly seeing globally cannabis is being more adopted. And so I think just it's if it's just very interesting, I think agriculture is very much a part of cannabis. Obviously, it's been a lot of the threads of this conversation, but the acceptance of it as ag is still, I think, a slow like merger. People are still just kind of, whoa, that can't be (laughs) not the same, but it's cool to hear from your perspective that is popping up more frequently, at least here in the States as well. And so just what are what are some of the exciting things in the future for you guys or from your perspective that you're working on or hoping to see or bring to market? 
It's yeah, it's really the expansion into other states and in, in countries. We're looking at expansion into the East Coast, Midwest, and then there's also talks of other countries as well. I think we're one of the we're definitely one of the leaders and one of the probably the only commercial micropropagated teaching culture companies that are actually out there right now. So the just getting better with the tech and hopefully at some point like we can move the plants from nationally internationally coming out of California. But right now we have to open a lab and start at each state or country. But yeah, it's really expansion. It's really getting the business model of paying breeders and just being on the cutting edge of having things that nobody else has from the strain perspectives too, and having the cleanest, healthiest plant, which, which just touched upon, like if you have a very strong, healthy plant at the beginning, it goes through that whole process of when you're cultivating it. So yeah, I think we're getting really excited on going into other states and other countries and really the genetic development. There's another thing we didn't touch upon was like everything is we're working with a company that does all of the genome typing of the plant too. So a lot of people, a lot of nurseries will sell a plant that they believe is the strain and then they'll get it from the nursery and you realize it's not. So everything we're verifying, we're getting from the breeder, we're actually verifying it and also helping the breeder in the process of giving a timestamp in the history, which uh, hopefully in the next couple of years, like breeders will be able to patent certain varietals and, and strains. And it's a unique thing we're also doing because not a lot of people, they're taking other people's words and they might be renaming things. And we actually have the data and analytics to back that up and make the cultivator feel comfortable that what we're selling is actually what we're selling. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi. 